Good morning, Radio Mar Church of Dubai. It is indeed a joy and a privilege for me to open God's word with you again this morning. If today is your first time of joining us, and if you are meeting me for the first time, my name is Chinedu Samuel Iwuchuku. Uh, you can continue to practice that last name, but feel free to call me Samuel. I serve on staff uh, with the church and I help with a community group. As a church, we have been going through the Gospel of John. Um, and if you had been regular with us, you would have noticed that we have different preachers uh, preach from this pulpit. We've had, we have Alan preach last week uh, from the first half of John 18. And next week, we'll be having Pastor John uh, preach on crucifixion. See, while we have enjoyed all of this and, and enjoyed to see different faces, I think it is important that we remind ourselves what the Gospel of John is about. And not only what, who the Gospel of John is about. The Gospel of John is about Jesus. And that's what we'll see if you read John 20, uh, verse 30 to 31, which is a central verse in, in, in Gospel of John. It says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This book is about Jesus. And it's my prayer that as we continue in this narrative text today, that we will know Jesus better. We will know him for who he is and the life we have in him. Because that is the only foundational truth to our relationship with the Father. Where we are in the story is what can be considered as the most dramatic time in the narrative of the book of John. You know, this is a, a text that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion. Actually, the next verse, after verse 16 of chapter 19, tells us this is where he was crucified. So this is the height of Jesus' crucifixion. If, if this were to be a modern courtroom, this is Jesus' last opportunity to prove to everyone why he shouldn't be crucified. It was a moment of emotions. Emotions are high. People are tensed. The atmosphere feels quite interesting. Everyone is looking to see if the truth, if it is true that what this man claimed to be is really who he is. And you know what I claim is? That I am the son of God. Because Jesus, uh, prior to our text, having facing different trials, at every time Jesus faces a trial, in Luke 22:70, he says, "And they all said, "Are you the Son of God?" And he said, "Yes, I am." Aha, uh -huh, finally, we have something. Finally, he is blasphemous. He can't. How? How can he publicly declare before us and custodians of, of, our, of our custom? How can he publicly say that he is the son of God? 
Because anyone who claims to be the son of God in Jew, in the Jewish custom, must die. But there was a problem. They did not have the legal authority to crucify him or to even put him to death because the Romans have to sanction this. Jesus faced this trial at the Jewish court. Now the Romans have to sanction it for him to really die. So as we pick up from verse 28, what we'll see that they led Jesus from Caiaphas's uh, house or court to the governor's quarter where he would face Pilate. You know, Pilate was the governor in Judea, so he has really a strong political will, and he is the representative of the emperor. So he is the one who has the legal authority to say, go and crucify him. And as they brought Jesus to Pilate, we begin to see very interesting conversations that begin to happen. A conversation that we can call the inside-outside conversation between Pilate, Jesus, and the Jews. And I'll be walking us through the, this conversation, after which we will be making three important applications from our text. But if you are taking notes, hear the main idea of our passage. This is the main point. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The king and the truth, who became the sacrifice for our sin, don't reject him. I will take that again. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the king and the truth, who became the sacrifice for our sin. Don't reject him. Before we jump into our text, let me pray for us once again. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the king. And it is only by what you have done for us that we can stand here this morning. So we pray that would you please, by your spirit, interpret your word in our hearts. May those who do not know you, know you. May those whom you have called to your kingdom grow in understanding of who you are. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as they led Jesus to the governor's quarters, John recorded in verse 28. You know, something very interesting happened. Verse 28 says, they did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defied, but they could eat because they want to eat the Passover feast. You see, understanding the Passover and what it stands for is quite crucial for us to understand why Jesus has to go through this trial, or even to understand why this text is very important. The Passover there is a day God shows that he is both, he is both a, a just judge and a merciful God. In Exodus 12, the scripture recalls that the story of the first Passover ceremony where God had instructed his people, slaughter a mature male, one-year-old lamb that is without blemish, and apply the blood on your door so that when I come, see the next, uh, the plague Jesus is going to put on, on the Egyptians is going to be very devastating, that even 
Even his people, if not careful, are going to experience the same wrath. But because he is a merciful God, he is a God who keeps his covenant, he is a God who loves his people, he said to his people, slaughter this lamb, apply its blood on your doorstep, so that when he sees the blood, he will pass over. Exodus 12, 13. So we need to understand something here, that Jesus did not spare the firstborn of Israelite because they were better than the firstborns of the Egyptians. After all, these are babies. But what God did is that he spared them because of a spotless lamp. He spared them because of a spotless lamp that died in their place. God provided a substitute. But when you fast forward to the New Testament, you read, we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it's, it reminds us that it is impossible, really, for the blood of a bull and goat to take away our sin. So the slaughtered lamb in Old Testament points to something else. There has to be a once and for all permanent sacrifice for our sin. Because really, just as the Israelites were deserving of God's wrath and he provided the, the, the substitute, we are also deserving of it. Because we are sinners, deserving of God's grace. Really? No, we are not deserving of his grace. Because a man's sin against a holy God would really require a man's blood. The spotless lamb in the Old Testament is a pointer to Jesus. The lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He is spotless. He is without sin. Yet he became sin for us. Jesus is the Passover lamb. No wonder Paul in Corinthians 5.7b says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So this is a Passover day. It's a day that the feast has to be taken. But one ironically, the, the, Jews, the, the Jews were, what they were more interested in is a custom. They want to fulfill the custom. But they don't have a problem to crucify a man who is not guilty. They did not understand that Jesus was the Passover lamb because if they did, they wouldn't even put him on trial. The reason Jesus came to Jerusalem wasn't because he wants to celebrate the feast. The reason he came to Jerusalem was because he wants to become the Passover lamb. The Jews wouldn't enter the governor's quarter because they want to keep the custom. See, Pilate is a Roman, so he's a Gentile, which means if they go into the house of the Gentile, they will be defiled. 
and they wouldn't be able to partake in the Passover feast. So what they did is they got to the governor's quarters and they stood outside. And we begin to see the conversation that ensued. What accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate asked. And they asked him, if, if this man were not doing evil, we, we would not have delivered him to you. But Pilate in his response says, take him yourself and, and, and judge him by your own law. But what we see that it, it immediately became clear that the Jews were not actually interested in the trial proceeding. What they wanted was for Pilate to make that pronouncement, go and crucify him. And here is the revealing response that shows why they really brought Jesus to the Pilate. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Because if it were, they wouldn't even bother bringing him to the Pilate. Though they know what the limitation of their authority is. You see, they did. Did the Jews understand that when it comes to legal proceedings, they are limited. The law does not allow them to put anyone to death. So for anyone to really carry out any legal death sentence, it has to be sanctioned by the emperor of Rome. The Roman authority has to give that. And that is who Pilate stands for. Pilate is the representative of the emperor. But John reminds us that all this power play between the Jews and, and, and the Pilate was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken about. To show the kind of death he is going to die. To show the kind of death he was going to die. Because when you read John chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, we read that as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, church, we, we must recognize that every recorded event of how Jesus died is significant, and it is ultimately, it is ultimately the fulfillment of the Scripture. If you go with me to Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, it says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is, to, he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his blood shall not remain all night on the tree. But you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Jesus entered Jerusalem to become the Passover lamb. He was brought to Pilate as the only one who has the legal authority to crucify him. And being a Roman, the method of, the method of death is crucifixion. You see, all of this is an attempt to really, really discredit Jesus' identity and claim. Because as we read in Deuteronomy, a man that is hanged is cursed by God. 
So if this man, Jesus, is hanged, he is cursed by God. And he cannot be the son of God. Because in their eyes, how would God hang his own son? How would God curse his own son? But what we see in verse 33 to 38 is that while this conversation ensued, there was no verdict. There was no, the Pilate doesn't have any reason at all to really crucify him. Then the conversation continued. But this time, Pilate went back inside. And it's now between himself and Jesus. And as he arrived, he asked, are you the king of the Jew? I mean, this is an interesting question because Pilate is a very powerful man. For if for anything, he should really know who the king of the Jew is. But he was looking for a reason to really convict Jesus. Because his expectation was that as he asked the question, Jesus would say, yes, I am the king of the Jew. Not that he actually, not that he denied it, but because this is a time that every account of what we see has to happen. Jesus' response will interest you. He says, uh, Mr. Governor, do you, do you ask this of your own accord? Or is this what people have told you about me? See, we need to understand this. See, depending on whatever response Pilate gives, there are two implications here. And none of those implications is in Pilate's favor. His judgment would either be controlled or manipulated. However he answers, he cannot find Jesus guilty. Because in both cases, Jesus is actually not guilty in the eyes of the robe. And that's why we see Pilate's response in verse 35. Uh, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? See, you can almost feel the tension in Pilate's tone. His response to Jesus shows a sense of desperation for an answer. What have you done? He needs a response to help him make a decision because this is, conversation is becoming interesting. But Jesus even makes his situation more complicated. Jesus' response wasn't helpful for him at all. Pilate is a governor. He doesn't, no one should really waste his time. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. You see, Jesus' kingdom is not subjected to any human kingdom. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom transcends human understanding because of his kingdom. Because if his kingdom were really of this world, those who are fighting to have him arrested will really be fighting not to have him arrested. Jesus is facing this trial 
only, only by the Father divine's authority. All of this is carefully orchestrated work of a sovereign God. Don't miss this, church. God is the one in control, not Pilate, not the Jews. If his kingdom were of this world, no one would even arrest him, not to talk of bringing him on trial. And, and Jesus' uh, you know, response to Pilate in verse 37 further confirms that all that is written has been planned before the foundation of the world. See, Pilate asked, so, so you are a king. And listen to what Jesus said. You say that I'm a king. I'm not denying it. I'm not admitting it before you. Oh, but no, he, I'm admitting it before you. Because the next response says, for this purpose, for, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what, what is the truth? What are you talking about? You see, when you see Pilate ask the question, what is the truth? You could immediately assume, oh, there is an awakening with Pilate. He's, he's finally interested to know what the truth is. But that's not true. He, his question wasn't because he's really interested in the truth. His question is because, what are you talking about? I'm, I, I want to get over with this, with this uh, trial. He was eager to get over the whole process. Because immediately he asked the question, he walked away. Interestingly, as pilots walk away in a rush, he failed to ask the right question. You see, the question is not what is the truth. The question is who is the truth? Because Jesus, the truth, stands before him. But because this is a rush, he wasn't really interested in that. He only asked that question because... What are you talking about, Jesus? What is the truth? You see, at this point, it became clear to Pilate that the truth I know is actually different from the truth this guy is talking about. Because whatever truth Jesus is speaking of is in no way a threat to Rome. I know who the king of the Jew is. And in verse 39, he, he, he brought Jesus and I, I find no guilt in him. This guy is not a threat to us. I don't know the truth he's talking about. But though Jesus does not pose any legal threat to, threat to Rome, he does really pose a threat to the Jewish custom, which is why they have brought him there in the first place. But you have a custom, Pilate said, that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me, Jews, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Friends, let me tell you what is happening here. Don't forget that this is really a power play, like I mentioned. This is, this is Pilate and the Jews exercising their, you know, intellectual powers and strength. The Jews brought Jesus to Rome to force the hand of Pilate to convict him and to, to, to sentence him to death. But in this verse, 
Pilate is flipping the whole thing on them again. And is indirectly forcing them to accept and acknowledge the title they would not want to be associated with Jesus. You have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They, they, they can't deny it at this point. But, but interestingly, the Jew who already remained the Jew, people who reject their God. They said, no, not, not this man. Give us Barabbas. The text says in John, now Barabbas was a robber. But when you look at Matthew 27, 16, Barabbas is not just an ordinary robber. The author of Matthew referred to him as a violent one. He is a notorious robber who really have no business to be in the society. He is facing death sentence because of his actions. The people chose Barabbas in place of Jesus. They rejected Jesus. You see, let, let's pause here for a minute because I think this is very critical for, for us as a church. You see, rejecting Jesus, like I mentioned, is, is not a new thing to the Jews. Right from the Old Testament, God's children have made it a habit to reject their king and their God. In 1 Samuel 8, they rejected God as their king. In Numbers 13, they refused to follow God's instruction as they go into war. In Deuteronomy 7, we see that Israel, we see them doing what they want to do. They are not ready to follow through God's instructions. But every time they reject God, God shows mercy. He is really a merciful God. See, the, the celebration of fast Passover is, is an evidence of God's mercy. It's an evidence of God's mercy to his people. Ironically, the God that freed them from the captive of Pharaoh in Egypt was here in person, and they rejected him again. Do you notice that they wouldn't even mention Jesus' name? Not this man, but Barabbas. While they were faced with the choice of choosing the king, they chose the opposite. They chose a notorious robber in place of Christ. And just as Jesus became the substitute for the robber, Barabbas, he is a substitute for our sin. He took our place. We are not different from the Jewish people. Neither are we different from Barabbas, who is a robber, until Jesus showed up. He reached out to save us from our sin. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place. 
And as we get to chapter 19, what we see is a continuation of this inside-outside conversation between Jesus, the Jews, and Pilate. Pilate took Jesus and humiliated him. On his watch and his order, Jesus was flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They stripped him off his robe and wore him a purple robe. A humiliation that is targeted at both his body and his reputation. It is an attempt to mock the king of the Jews. Hail the king of the Jews, they said, as they struck him with their hand. You see, Pilate's attempt was to really achieve two things. He wants to really exercise his authority over Jesus. And secondly, he wants to satisfy the conscience of the Jews. Behold the man you say is your king. I hope this punishment and this humiliation satisfies your conscience. That is what Pilate will be saying, because I, I honestly find no guilt in him. There is no base for your charge. This man is not a threat to me. But what seemed like an attempt to appease the Jews infuriated them the more. You see, if the Jews wanted to flog Jesus, they could do that. Their desire is in the kind of punishment they are looking for is not just flogging and, and, and humiliating. They want him dead. They want Jesus dead. Because when the chief priest and the officers saw Jesus, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourself. For I really find no guilt in him. This is the third time the Pilate is saying this. But the Jews answered, we have a law, again, Mr. Governor, that this man ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. The scripture said, as Pilate heard, heard this, he entered his headquarters again and he became more afraid. And he said to Jesus, where are you from? Why, why does your people want you dead so badly? Are you really a Jew? I have done everything to appease them. I have flogged you and presented you to them. I have, I have humiliated you and presented you to them. Is that not okay? Where are you from? But the text says Jesus gave him no answer. Because if Pilate has been reading his scripture, which I know he's not, he would have seen in chapter 3, verse 31 of John, that he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Jesus is from above. He is God. And verse 11 of chapter 19, Jesus' response is a further testament that all of this sham of a trial wouldn't have happened if the Father hasn't allowed it. 
Pilate, you, you have no authority to crucify me if it hasn't been given to you. It is the Father who is walking to have his son crucified for the sins of the world. See, the rest of the passage shows that Pilate, again, sought to release Jesus, but the people, no, every attempt he makes, crucify him. They, they went as far as threatening him and says, if you release this man, if you release this man, you are not friend of Caesar. Remember, this is a political strategy for Pilate. He, he wants to look good on both sides. He wants to be in the good book of the emperor, at the same time satisfy the people's conscience. And so when he was presented with a stronger argument, if you don't crucify this man, we would, we would mention this to Caesar, and you would not be friends of Caesar. And you know what that will happen? What will happen is you are going to lose your political position. A stronger argument was presented to Pilate. And Pilate brought Jesus to the Jews. Behold your king. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Isn't that heart-wrenching? Isn't that troubling to hear that the king who is dying in their place is yet again rejected? We don't have a king. Caesar is our king. And they took Jesus. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the true king whose ultimate purpose is to fulfill the Father's will. And he is born to die. I was born for this, Pilate. See, friends, there are three application points I want us to quickly run through. The first one is there is no middle ground. Follow Jesus. One of the interesting characters of this whole passage is Pilate. He's not guilty with flogging, you know. He thought he could please God and man. Three times he came back to the people to declare, I find no guilt in him. Okay, then release him. No. Um, but I want to satisfy your ego. You have a custom. What should I do next? Okay, let me flog him. His man-pleasing condition was very evident. He had Jesus flogged. He released Barnabas, Barabbas instead of Jesus. He succumbed to the fear of what Caesar could do. He did all of this while he was faced with the truth. Pilate was faced with the truth, but he chose lie. He gave in to lie. Interestingly, we read in Matthew 27, 19 that it is recorded that even Pilate's wife sent a word to him while he was sitting on the judgment seat. Do not have, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. <laughs> For I have suffered much because of, of, of him today. I, I see him in my dream. Here is a bonus point for wives. And a warning to husbands. Listen to your wives. 
It's important. This man has tormented me in my dream. But he's a righteous man. Don't have anything to do with him. With all of this warning, Pilate didn't heed that. Friends, there is no meet-do ground in following Jesus. It is either you are for Jesus or you are not. It is a lot easier for us to condemn Pilate, isn't it? Say, what that man, what is he doing? But when we look at our lives today, what are those things that keeps us one foot here and another foot there? Are we enslaved to our ambition? Are you enslaved to your reputation? Do you want position? Do you want to be known at the expense of following Jesus? Are you a man pleaser? Do you know Jesus to be true and wouldn't stand with him? There is no middle ground. It's either you are for Jesus or you are not. It is Jesus first. It is him always. And the second application point is, do not reject Jesus. And we see this from the life of the people. Several times, God showed himself to them, but they rejected him. Yet again, in person, they rejected him. There are two important applications we can see from the life of the Jews here. One is a sin of hypocrisy. They were willing to fulfill the Passover feast, but they were not willing to release a man who is not guilty. Crucify him. He's crucify him. Friends, what does hypocrisy look like in our lives? Coming to church to fulfill our righteousness? That's not, that's not following Jesus. You come to church, yet you do not have a problem to continue in sin within the week. That is hypocrisy. Are your spiritual activity fueled by your desire to be known or seen? Are you serving with a heart that overflows because of what Jesus has done? Or are you serving so that you can be seen? Are you serving so that you would be known? Do you attend church because you want your pastors to see you and mark the weekly register for you, that you are here? Is that why you are following Jesus? That is hypocrisy. Are you keeping yourself busy with shady activities during the week while you come to church every Sunday to raise your hands in worship? That is hypocrisy. God wants integrity and sincerity in following him. So if you must worship him, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. We see the sin of rejection. They rejected him. They rejected the truth. Crucify him. Crucify him, they shouted. Caesar is our king. Give us Barnabas. We want the notorious robber, not Jesus. We want to obey the law, but we want the fulfillment of the law to be crucified. These are many ways the people expressed their rejection of Jesus. So we, we may not be shouting the same thing today, 
But when you examine your heart, how are you rejecting Jesus? And let me speak to those who are here not yet a follower of Christ. This is another opportunity. You are confronted with the truth. Follow him. Don't reject him. Don't reject Jesus. He is the truth and the life. Don't love sin. Don't dwell in sin. Dwelling in sin is an act of rejecting Jesus. And lastly, we see Jesus, the true king. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the true king. Not only he is the king of the Jew, he is the king of all. He is our king. He is a servant king who took the place and took the wrath that you deserve. You see, you cannot, we wouldn't be doing justice to this passage if we don't look at this part of the text. You cannot but marvel at the glorious manner and, and character of Jesus in all of this. Look at his gentleness. Look at his, his courage. Look at his patience. Look at the integrity and wisdom he displays. Look at his posture in face of trial. We, we, we need to admit it that we are defensive humans. That is not who Jesus is. He knew what was going to happen, yet he walked into it for our sake. Jesus was committed to the truth, even in the face of trials. He is the truth. We find our truth in him, not our social media account, not politics, not identity, not our achievement or our money. The truth is not found in the false reality we create for ourselves. The truth is found in Jesus. He is the truth. When Pilate had the opportunity of knowing the truth, he walked away. Let that not be you again today. When you are faced with trials and challenges, do you stand for Jesus? When you are faced with options of compromising at work, do you stand for Jesus? Or do you, do you constantly ask, what would Jesus do? Church, Jesus is the truth. Don't walk away. Seek ways to know him because only the truth can set you free. Several times in our text, we also see him as a king. They attempted to put the kingship of Jesus under scrutiny and they attempted to ridicule him and make mockery of him. We see that at least, at least seven times they, they question him, are you the king of the Jews? So you are a king? Pilate said, hail the king of the Jews as, as they, they struck him. And in chapter 19, verse 14, Pilate said, behold your king. Go do whatever you want to do with him. An attempt that is aimed towards mocking Jesus. Behold your king who is standing trial before me. Behold your king who will die in place of a robber. Behold your king who is flogged and on whose head lies a crown of thorns. Behold your king who stands in judgment before me. And the people shouted, he is not our king, it's Caesar that we want. 
only if they knew that Jesus is neither standing trial before Pilate and the people. Only if they knew that he is under God's judgment for sins of the world. He, he, is a, he, he became the sin for us. The sin that you and I are guilty of, Jesus became that for, for us. And through his death on the cross, because his kingdom is not of this world, through his death on the cross, he throws open the eternal kingdom. Church, so that you and I can walk through it. Jesus' death frees us from the bondage of sin. He is coming back. But this time around, he is not coming back to face trials. He is coming back as the judge. Behold your king. Let us pray. Jesus, we will thank you for what you have done for us. We can only come in appreciation. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is your love for us. Please don't leave us. Continue to walk with us even as we look forward to the day you would come. You are a king, and we submit under your authority. We pray these things in Jesus' name.